0: Hello, everyone, and either welcome or welcome back to the Gender Libertarian Podcast. If you do like this, please rate, comment, and subscribe. You can find me on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, YouTube, and on my Patreon page where you do get early access. Link will be down in the show notes. Okay, so it is now time to do the recap for the ninth round of Democratic primary debates. Yes, that is number nine, and we still have one more to go this month, and then two more to go after that for a sum total of 12. Yeah, this one, however, holy shit, was this one different than all of the others. Um, I'm sure at this point you've probably heard that things got quite nasty, during the course of this debate. And actually, not even during the course. We started off off the rip. People just knives out. Everybody just trying to just knife everybody on the stage with one notable exclusion. But we will get there. So anyway, yeah, this was the first debate where Bloomberg was on the stage um, because of the new DNC requirements for being able to meet the qualifications for being on the debate stage. Um, They don't have that donor qualification anymore, so Bloomberg can be on the stage because he is self-funding, as he has pointed out several times, including in his closing statement last night, that you can go visit his site, but he's not accepting anybody's money. So off the rip, we start out this debate basically just Everybody just, just lining up to just punch Bloomberg repeatedly in the face. Metaphorically speaking, nobody was actually punched last night. Although I was beginning to wonder at certain points if some of this wouldn't devolve into actual fistfights, but obviously everybody got a chance to beat up on Bloomberg off the rip and that's not to say that he doesn't deserve it. Um, I mean, I've made my thoughts on Bloomberg pretty clear. I do not feel like he is qualified to be running for president of the United States for, if for nothing else, than supporting stop and frisk. Like that to me is disqualifying. Violating people's constitutional rights and defending that you supported that program is disqualifying to me. So he was attacked on that. He was attacked on his tax returns which apparently he is supposed to be releasing, but it's, like, super hard because he's, like, really rich and stuff, guys, and so it's not like he can just use TurboTax. It, like, takes a long time to do his taxes because he's so rich. And, I mean, they just attacked him on that, criminal justice reform, race relations. Um, the one that everybody is kind of stuck on, aside from Stop and Frisk, which Bernie went after him for, uh, Klobuchar went after him for... Um, I think Elizabeth Warren brought it up too, but the one that everybody's kind of, the, the big takeaway from this section was Elizabeth Warren attacking Bloomberg on the topic of the non-disclosure agreements that have been signed between Bloomberg Inc., not necessarily between Bloomberg himself, but Bloomberg Inc., and I want to say it's like 60-some-odd female employees who have had to sign NDAs based around their time working for Bloomberg. So, obviously, a little problematic. There's been accusations of sexual harassment. Um, it's come out that he has said various and assorted, vulgar, nasty things about women. Um, Elizabeth Warren brought it up in her first attack against Bloomberg that he called women, what was it, like, horse-faced broads and, and like, just shit like that. But the, the NDA thing is what she really stuck on, and... During this whole section, Bloomberg did not do very well at all, which is kind of ridiculous because he should have seen this all coming. But his response to the NDA thing was that these women wanted to sign the NDAs because they didn't want to talk about their time working at Bloomberg Inc. And that they just wanted to move on, which is an absolutely horseshit thing to say. Nobody has to sign an NDA for that. Like, if you don't want to talk about something, you can just not talk about it. You don't have to sign a non-disclosure agreement. So Warren was pressing him on it and was basically point blank asking him to, in that moment, on television, release everybody from their NDAs, which, legally speaking, I don't know if that's how that works. I think there's probably, like, paperwork and stuff you have to do, but I guess symbolically it would mean something. And he refused to do it. And so at this point... It's it's not looking too good for Bloomberg. And he's getting attacked repeatedly. Like I said, not undeservedly. But yeah, the first about 15 minutes, maybe 20 minutes, was just not not very good for Bloomberg. But we move on from that a little bit to something that I was honestly surprised that much time was spent on at all. Which is... These very sort of online controversies. And what it was, was we pivoted, and this was the moderators were asking Bernie Sanders this about the situation with the Culinary Workers of Nevada Union and his supporters, and kind of segueing from that into criticizing Bernie for his supporters. And there was an extended exchange between Bernie and Pete Buttigieg on this topic. But I want to back up a little bit because this, like the Culinary Workers Union thing, unless you are extremely online or you listen to this podcast and you're one of my dear listeners and heard me actually explain this to you in the last episode, you would have no freaking idea what the hell this conversation was about. And so during this whole conversation of that and online supporters and people on Twitter, like I'm just, I'm I'm watching this and I'm like, unless you're in the bubble, you, you have no clue what the hell this is, what, you're like, what, who? Who did what to who? And who was the culinary workers? And what, what, what do Bernie Sanders supporters do on Twitter? Like, it was just so weird to me. And it was this kind of overall vibe that came out of this particular debate for me, which is that this really seemed generated towards those of us who are, Extremely online in political Twitter and just online political stuff in general, where I don't think that was a very good idea or a good decision, but I want to take a second to talk about the pete Bernie situation here. Um, basically, it came up and I, I believe Pete was the one that actually brought it up. I mean, the, the question was brought up by the moderators, but Pete kind of took the ball and ran with it. And that is the idea that Bernie Sanders supporters online, on Twitter, are, let's just say, not the nicest people in the world. In fact, they can be downright vicious. And it's been something that's been discussed in online circles for ages now. I mean, we discussed this back in 2016, too, because the problem was there. Like, you know, the whole Bernie bro thing and the accusations of At least back in 2016, it was accusations of, like, sexism against female journalists. And this time around, it's just overall vicious, vile nastiness. And for what it's worth, yeah, some of these people are just, it's just, it's, it's next level. Like, if you've never seen it, consider yourself lucky. But these people can get extremely vicious. And so, Pete was making the point that... Yeah, there's people that are nasty online, but this seems to be a problem specifically with your supporters. And this is something I want to push back on because I don't feel like it's the fault of a candidate what his or her supporters do online. I mean, there's a difference between if, say, one of your official spokespeople or a surrogate goes out in public and does something, that's different. And I bring that up because actually earlier in the day on Wednesday... There was a bit of a mini-controversy that got touched on in the debate, too, in that one of Bernie Sanders' surrogates, or actually, I don't think it was a surrogate, I think it was his official spokesperson. I'm not sure exactly what her title is, but she had gone on, I believe it was MSNBC, and in the course of an interview, the, the topic of Bernie Sanders' health records came up, and the fact that he did promise to release them before the end of last year, it has not happened yet. And so she pivots from this thing about obviously Bernie Sanders had a heart attack and kind of, sort of, allegedly tried to cover it up. But she went and said on TV that Bloomberg had had a heart attack too, which is false. Bloomberg has not had a heart attack. Um, What Bloomberg has is much like what Bernie has now is he has stents put in. And the why is sort of nebulous, whether he had some kind of condition that wasn't as severe as a heart attack or it was some kind of preventative measure. At any rate, Bloomberg had stents put in. He did not have a heart attack, but she went out there and said that he had a heart attack. So it started this whole thing. And yeah, so holding someone like that accountable, somebody who's officially part of the campaign is one thing. Trying to hold a candidate responsible for what semi-rando to rando people do on Twitter. Like, I just don't think that's fair because what is he supposed to do about that other than what he actually did, which he did say that he disavows anybody who engages in these sort of vicious attacks, which I'm just in there like, so did Bernie just disavow the dirtbag left? Did Bernie just disavow the Chapo crowd? Because that's who's doing it. And like I said, I don't think it's, entirely fair to blame Bernie for it and I've discussed this on Twitter I don't think I've ever discussed it on the pod I don't think it's Bernie like as a person who is attracting these people in and of himself like I don't think there's anything endemic to him as a human being I think it's the progressive movement that has these very very vicious people in it and this sort of viciousness, I, I keep using that word because there's just nothing else to describe it. These people are just vile sometimes. Like, it's really just some of the the blatant anti-Semitism that comes out of these people, some of the blatant just racism, sexism that comes out of these people. It's just, it's nuts. But the progressive movement tolerates this kind of behavior towards people who it views as being outside the movement and there's a whole discussion to be had there about how progressives view people who are not progressives versus how conservatives view people who are not conservatives. That's probably another topic for another time, but the reason why all of these people seem to end up being Bernie supporters is because Bernie is the progressive candidate. So obviously these people are Bernie supporters because of who he is as a candidate, not because of who he is as a person. They're... Bernie supporters because they support his positions. I mean if it was I don't know maybe if Bernie wasn't there and it was just still Elizabeth Warren in that progressive lane perhaps they'd be backing her. I'm not entirely sure but it's it's progressivism. It's not Bernie himself which is another reason I don't think that it's super okay to blame Bernie for the actions of his supporters. Anyway I just wanted to say that because it was a thing that came up and again in the in the The idea of discussing how much of this very online stuff got discussed last night, and it was just, it it was, it was odd. It was really just strikingly odd to me, and I noted it, and I wasn't the only person that I saw notice that on Twitter while people were doing, like, live tweets and live streams and stuff like that. I wasn't the only person who was like, wait a minute, what, why are we discussing this in a presidential primary debate? Like, who... Most people, I would think, who was watching that debate had no fucking clue what that segment was about. So, yeah. Just a super weird thing that I noticed. Um, Another thing that I noticed is that, once again, once again, and I say this, n- like, this debate took place in Las Vegas ahead of the Nevada caucus that is going to be on Saturday. It was assumed That there would be some kind of discussion on immigration because of the location. I mean, it's Nevada. You have a lot of immigrants in Nevada. You have a lot of first-generation people in Nevada. It's a huge topic in Nevada. Did we discuss it? Fuck no, we did not discuss immigration. Again. Again. We had, God, another, Jesus, probably close to half an hour discussion on healthcare. But no discussion on immigration. The only time immigration came up in any kind of serious way was Amy Klobuchar, one candidate, just Amy Klobuchar, was asked a somewhat throwaway question about DACA, about what she would do to try to help these people. And basically her response was, I'll be president of the United States, which is not a fucking response. Immigration reform, immigration reform that you can do. Right now, because you're a member of Congress, that was the answer. But no, it was, and it's just like, I'm I'm not understanding, again, and I know I brought this up in the last re- recap that I did, I am not understanding why moderators are not bringing up the topic of immigration, knowing that this is Trump's signature issue. Immigration is his issue. The wall is his issue. Minimizing legal immigration is his issue. Why the hell is this not being brought up in Democratic primary debates when you know you're going to have it brought up in general debates? It blows my mind. Like, I don't, I don't understand it. Like, it just, I, I I don't understand why we had a conversation about healthcare, a fucking gen, why we had a conversation about climate change, a fucking gen, why we had conversations about online spats, but nothing on immigration, and as other people have pointed out, nothing on foreign policy. Not a word on foreign policy. Not a word on the current wars. Nothing. Not a peep. And I'm just like, what? Huh? Like, who? who's picking these questions? Who's, who's deciding? Like, I don't, I don't, I'm not understanding this. I'm just, I'm really not understanding. But, Kind of the last overall thing that I want to talk about. Well, actually, the next to last, because, yeah, Um, there was a question posed to every candidate on the stage about delegate count going into the convention. And it was asked that if there was a candidate who had a majority of delegates, but not necessarily the delegate count that one needs to secure the nomination, would they support that person being the nominee, like without like kind of going through any kind of hoops or anything, basically. Everybody but Bernie said no, basically. That in, in essence, what you're agreeing to when you say that is that you would be okay with a brokered convention. And Bernie was the only candidate to say no. Whoever has the majority of delegates, even if it's not, the number that you need to secure the nomination, that should be the nominee. Like, Bernie was the only person to say that. Everyone else was like, no, we'd have to go to the convention, you have to go through the whole process. And I'm just like, ooh boy. And for what it's worth, I don't think the DNC would ever let it get so far as to be a brokered convention um, I forget the dates offhand, but their convention isn't until July. I want to say it's mid to end July. So it's quite far off in the future and it's actually pretty significantly far after the primary season is wrapped up. So I can see happening and I suspect this will start happening sometime after Super Tuesday. The DNC starting to lean on candidates who are getting single digits in these primary races to drop out. I, I do not see this becoming a brokered convention. is going to be the last thing the DNC wants. It would be complete bedlam. It's just, it's handing, it's almost handing just an unforced error win to Trump because what they're going to need is is an actual, like, candidate that has the full air of legitimacy to them. Like, you cannot have a candidate running against Trump where there's questions as to the legitimacy of that candidate and whether or not the DNC and the Democratic base supports this candidate. Like, that cannot happen. That cannot happen. And the DNC is probably going to do everything in their power to make sure it doesn't happen. So, like I said, I imagine after Super Tuesday... There's going to be candidates who are getting told maybe subtly, maybe not so subtly that you need to go so that your supporters can start coalescing around one of these other candidates who actually has a chance of winning. So yeah, that's, that was just rather amazing that so many people were cool with the idea of a brokered convention. Everybody except Bernie, which I mean, it's, I mean, I'll go ahead and say it because to me, it's kind of obvious where this is going. Barring anything crazy happening, Bernie is going to at least have a majority of delegates. I mean, I just, that's what's going to (laughs) happen. And the DNC is going to hate it, but I mean, what are they going to do? Like, I just, I don't, I mean, it's not like they didn't screw him out of it last time, but I mean, it's just, there's, Oh, this is going to be such an ugly situation for the DNC. But anyway, those were kind of the overall notable things. I'll get to specific people here in a second, but I I wanted to kind of discuss the overall vibe to this debate because it was, it was really weird, honestly. And I'll go ahead and preface this by saying for the rest of this recap, I'm, I'm kind of trying to look at this debate and I think this is probably the best way to look at this debate is this is now the time when normal people are going to start tuning into these debates and this kind of felt like and I noticed it a bit when Bloomberg wasn't talking like when there was cross-talk between the other candidates or other candidates were arguing with each other and I, I could feel like Bloomberg kind of sensed it too, but so did I. It had this kind of feel like if you've ever gone to like a party or an event and you get there and you're kind of like the new person there, but everyone else, they already knows each other and they already kind of hate each other. And so you're walking into this situation and you're just like, "Yo, know, this is kind of awkward and weird. That's kind of what it felt like. and And like I said, I could sense Bloomberg kind of sensing it too, because there was like there were some times when, like like I said, other candidates were fighting each other, and he was just kind of looking on like, what the hell is going on here? But yeah, it's just, I, I think this almost felt kind of like a sequel. Like if you hadn't watched any of the earlier debates, you might not have any damn clue what was going on in this debate. You're probably looking at this like, Wait, why are these people fighting each other? What What's going on? Like, like there's whole plot lines that you don't know because you didn't catch like the first six episodes, and so it was just a really weird vibe. Like it's just, I, it's hard to explain if you didn't watch it, but it was just, it was nuts. Like it was fucking crazy. And Bloomberg actually made a comment, and this was in response to Bernie going on a stem winder about how workers should be sitting on corporate boards, his response was because after Bernie did his little spiel, they pivoted to Bloomberg to ask him what he felt about that for obvious reasons. And Bloomberg's like, no. And he he made the comment that if, like, I'm trying to, I'm going to kind of paraphrase it because I don't remember it completely word for word, but it's like, this conversation is going to be the reason why Trump wins. Like, Anybody watching this conversation will vote for Trump. And it was in, like I said, in reaction to Bernie's little spiel, but I think that could also be applied to this whole debate in general. Like anybody who tuned into this and didn't like have any idea of the backstory or what the hell was going on, probably tuned into this and was like, these people are fucking batshit crazy with a couple of exceptions that I will discuss here, but it was just I, wow. (laughs) Wow. And there were some times where the moderators completely lost control of the situation and you had candidates talking over the monitors or over the moderators, excuse me. You had people arguing with each other. You had like three or four people trying to talk at one time. Like there were parts of this where it just got completely out of hand. And I'm like, if I was running the sound there, I would have started cutting people's mics. Like if you're not going to respect the time limits here and you're not going to shut up when you're supposed to shut up, I'm just going to cut your damn mic. But yeah, it was just, it was, I, I don't know. It was definitely different than every other debate. Definitely different in tenor. Definitely a lot angrier, a lot louder, a lot shoutier. And I don't know how well this came off to people who don't normally watch this sort of stuff. That being said, I am going to go ahead and pivot to my part of the recap where I normally give my winners and losers. This debate is really, really hard to do this section on because I don't feel like anybody particularly like bathed themselves in glory here. But I will give my winner, and this is probably going to be the most controversial part of this episode, but I will explain my reasoning. To me, the person who won that debate was Pete Buttigieg. I am the only person that I've seen say this, so let me explain. To go back to a point that I made a little earlier in the podcast, looking at this as if I were somebody who was just watching this for the first time, Buttigieg is the only person on that stage who didn't come off as like a batshit crazy human. And... We we joke that the bar is so low for Democrats that all they have to do is not be crazy. Um, Pete was the only person that actually cleared that bar, in my opinion. And I think a big part of that is the argumentation style that he employed in this debate. Now, I am not sure if this is just due to his temperament because, I mean, so far he has not been a loud, shouty person, so maybe he's just not a loud, shouty person, or that he read the stage and kind of saw how everyone else was acting and sort of called an audible in that moment to be like, okay, I am going to be like this and not like that. Um, what he did was when he was attacked, and he was attacked a couple times, did not devolve into this kind of loud shoutiness. He employed this sort of argumentation style that I personally recommend for people. And it's something that I think resonates well, and it looks well on television, and it sounds well. And that's another thing, is it seemed to me very, very obvious that Judge was aware that he was on television. Like, he's controlling his voice, he's controlling his body movements. Very, very aware of the fact that people are looking at you. So, he did this thing where he would attack back, but not in a nasty way, but just kind of, like, almost low-key dickishness, where you just basically point out facts in just a very calm, rational way, which pisses people off when they're already mad at you. Like, oh my god, that pisses people off. And the person that really fell for that the most was Amy Klobuchar, because she tried to attack him, and he basically just, like, hit her with facts, and she pretty much just acted like a total and complete dipshit after that and yeah i would think that anybody like a normal person watching this would be like okay all of these other people are nuts except for lizard guy and possibly billionaire bloomberg and it seems to me that buddha judge was the only candidate on the stage who seemed to understand what one should be doing during this debate which is that understanding that we have now pivoted into actual primary season where people are voting. And so it seemed to me like he was not necessarily speaking to the people on the stage or even necessarily to the people in the room per se, but to those who have not made their decision on who they're going to vote for in the primary. And so he seemed to be holding himself out as the calm, collected, somewhat normal candidate who is a centrist, neolib, <laughs> but kind of not looking crazy. And that's why I think he won because I think anybody watching that would be like, yeah, this guy seems legit. Like he seems like not super crazy like everybody else on this stage he's not screaming at the top of his lungs he's not attacking other people on the stage so yeah and i think especially looking at the results out of new hampshire um like i said he did come in second um technically came in first in iowa kind of questionable but i think this is a strategy that is working for him and i'm very curious to see where he ends up in in I, or Nevada, excuse me. I'm going to say, I will do a bold prediction. I think he's going to come in second again. I think he's going to come in after Bernie. Where everybody else falls after that, I'm not entirely sure. But I mean, it's, it's like the bar is so low. Just don't be crazy. And nobody else on that stage managed it except for him and kind of Bloomberg. Yeah. On the topic of Bloomberg, though, okay, this is probably the most interesting reaction I've seen coming out of this debate is people's reaction to Bloomberg's performance. And I think that what we had here was kind of a tale of two Bloomberg's. The first half of the debate sucked for him. Like he basically got turned into a human punching bag and he didn't handle it particularly well. At points, he came off as very sarcastic, very condescending, just not particularly prepared to deal with the attacks that were being launched against him, which, like I said, he should have seen coming because everybody pretty much telegraphed that they were going to do it. But then in the second half of the debate, Bloomberg, to me, kind of found his sea legs and landed some really, really good soundbite comments. The first one being that in relationship to Bernie's proposals, he straight up used the word communism. Like he said it, like we've, we've, we've abandoned, like capitalism's been abandoned before. This has been tried. This is a, altering capitalism's been tried. It's called communism. And basically everybody on the stage was like, Ooh, and I was just like, no, he just said the C word. But yeah, he, he was one of the few candidates to actually actively attack Bernie Sanders. And he also made the point of saying that, well, the most famous socialist in the country is a millionaire who has three houses, which is a joke that all of us have made at some point or another. But it, it rings true. And it actually, it seemed to really irritate Bernie to have that pointed out because his, his retort was, well, how many houses do you have? And Bloomberg was like one in New York where I pay all my taxes. It's like, there's, there's something about kind of how Bloomberg presented himself, especially in the second half of the debate. And I forget who made this tweet, but I saw one going into the debate saying that if Bloomberg came out and tried to come out as super woke, he would be destroyed. If he came out super contrite, he would be destroyed. If he came out and acted more like Trump, he'd be fine. He chose option three. I think he's going to be fine. A lot of people seem to think that this performance is the end of his campaign, which, first of all, no, it's it's not. No matter what the polling numbers come out as, Bloomberg's not dropping out. Like, he's not even on the ballot in Nevada. Like, he's not even on any ballots until Super Tuesday, I do think. I don't even think he's on the ballot in South Carolina. So, He's not going anywhere. And in that second half, like I said, he landed some punches. And especially during the discussion about climate change, he sounded more educated on the topic than pretty much anyone else on the stage because he started talking about how if we are going to rejoin the Paris Climate Accords, uh, we need to rethink how this is going, especially... Seeing as climate change, if you do think it's a crisis, is a global crisis. He specifically mentioned China and India. He mentioned fracking. Um, he, he sounded like somebody who's spent more than five minutes thinking about this topic in order to come up with talking points. Like he actually sounded like he knew something here. And I think that that there, there's something there. like and I still hate, dude, like I do not think he belongs on that stage. But he sounds like he actually might have some ideas other than the U.S. is bad. The U.S. has to do all the things and nobody else has to be held accountable for climate change. Like he pointed out that it's a global problem and that there are other countries who need to pull their weight a hell of a lot more than the U.S. does, which is correct. So, and then he also made a comment, I forget, I think it was, I think it was probably Warren who was making some point about billionaires and taxes that they pay. And he pointed out like, all right, well, who wrote the tax code? Basically pointing out that like, well, Congress wrote the tax code. So why are you mad? <laughs> it's like, I didn't write the tax code. So, but it's stuff like that, that I think the, the second half of the debate showed me that Bloomberg might actually have what it takes to kind of hang with Trump on a stage in a debate because his he was landing punches in the second half, he was, and I think a lot of people that think that his performance kind of ended his run didn't watch the second half all that closely. And but what it's worth pointing out that Bloomberg has these NDAs, and Bloomberg has said this, and that Bloomberg has said that. Um, I don't think voters are really going to give a shit. I mean, remember way back when, when everybody, yours truly included, thought that the Access Hollywood tape would be the end of Trump's campaign and then he won? Yeah, I don't think voters care about that kind of shit as much as we do. And so spending time focusing on that sort of stuff, I think, is not a very effective way of trying to take down Bloomberg. I mean, there's plenty of other things that you could say about him that are a lot more relevant and may stick a lot more than pointing out that, okay, he called women names and he has these NDAs and he's potentially sexist and uh, all this other stuff. It's like, that's not going to stick. That's not going to take him down. It didn't take down Trump. It's not going to take down Bloomberg. Don't put your hopes on that. Like, did you not learn anything from 2016? Anyway, I am very, very curious to see what the poll numbers are going to be exiting this. Um, I didn't see anything published before I went to record this, so maybe when I do the weekly roundup, we'll have another set of polling to discuss, but I am very curious. I mean, I don't think this is going to hurt Bloomberg nearly as much as people seem to think it's going to. I think Buttigieg is going to get a spike in the polls, and I'm not quite sure about everybody else, but... On the topic of everybody else, let's start with Bernie. Bernie was extra super duper Bernie during this debate. And by that, I mean, it's, and again, this kind of goes to the extremely online thing. Um, If you are extremely online, you follow Bernie Sanders, nothing he said last night was going to be particularly surprising to you, but I've not seen him go this strident on certain topics, and when I say that, I, I'm referring to the rant about the workers sitting on corporation boards. He also went on a whole rant about the immorality of billionaires. Like, I, I'm just like, and again, that's nothing surprising if you follow him online. But to say that on a debate stage, who? Okay, um, I don't know as if that's going to appeal to anybody who hasn't thoroughly decided who they're going to vote for. And like I said, that really should be your aim at this point when you're speaking in public. Um, a thing that he did kind of have to admit to is the fact that in order for the Green New Deal to happen, he would have to decimate an entire industry, basically the fossil fuel industry, because you'd have to do away with fracking, you'd have to do away with a lot of the oil drilling, and... It kind of highlighted the hypocrisy of saying that you care about workers, but that there is a certain group of workers that you'll gladly throw to the side to enact your Green New Deal. And of course, this was met with like a little platitude of, oh, there'll be all these other good paying jobs and they can just move on to them. I'm like, okay, really? What's the time frame? What's the skill set? How many jobs are there going to be? Is there going to be enough to offset the amount of people who aren't going to be working in coal anymore, the amount of people who aren't going to be working in natural gas anymore, the amount of people not working in oil drilling or refining anymore? Like, you're you're going to have a massive economic impact due to the Green New Deal. And so kind of backing him into a corner on that was rather interesting. And another interesting thing that came out of this, going back to the, the discussion about the Culinary Workers Union and their objection to Medicare for All, it sounded to me like Bernie kind of started to float the idea of there being a carve-out for unions in terms of Medicare for All because unions have a problem with this, obviously, because they have negotiated these healthcare plans that obviously would have to go away under Medicare for All because it abolishes private insurance, and they're not happy about that obviously. I mean, if I was a union worker, I wouldn't be too stoked about that either. <laughs> so yeah, there was kind of a, a mention of there would be something done for unions, which that to me sounds like there's going to be exceptions to Medicare for all. And that is the first step in diluting Medicare for all. It's, it's, you're going to have to start doing carve-outs for this group and that group in order to get their support. And then eventually it becomes so watered down that it's effectively somewhat meaningless. Like, this is what happened with Obamacare. Like, they initially started with this wanting to be, like, single payer, but then you had to keep making compromise after compromise after compromise until you ended up with what we ended up with with Obamacare. So... Whether Bernie Sanders becomes president and Medicare for All becomes an option, I imagine it's going to go through the same process. And it seems to me like he's already kind of starting to concede that point, be it kind of obliquely and kind of under the radar and maybe hoping that his people didn't notice what he said. But I heard you, Bernie. I heard you. The next person I want to talk about is Amy Klobuchar. And... Her night didn't go super well either. I mean, especially off of the last debate where she did great. Like that was the first debate where I was like, okay, now I understand what Amy Klobuchar is doing on this stage. Her, 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 no, jeez. Like I said, nobody really came off looking super duper great, but a lot of people came off looking bad and she's one of them. And the thing that kind of tripped her up is being questioned on the fact that during an interview for Telemundo, um, it was her, Tom Steyer, and Pete Buttigieg, and she was asked whether she knew the name of the Mexican president. Now, let me be clear about something. She did not say she forgot the name or that she couldn't recall it. She said no. And for what it's worth, in case you want to know, the name of the Mexican president is Andres Manuel López Obrador, or AMLO for short. So now you know the name of the Mexican president. (sighs) You know, in a different world, in a different life, doing something like that would get you laughed out of a campaign. That's an Aleppo moment. (laughs) It just is. And for what it's worth, Tom Steyer didn't know the name of the... Mexican president, either. Pete Buttigieg did. He actually knew the answer to the question when he was asked that by an interviewer from Telemundo, so there's that. But there's not a lot of things that I can say for sure that I know is going to happen on day one of the next presidential term. What I can say for sure is that on day one, whether it's still Trump or whether it is a Democratic president, that person is going to inherit a complete clusterfuck when it comes to U.S.-Mexican relations in relationship to what's going on at the border with MPP, with asylum seekers. You need to know the president of Mexico's name. That, you, I mean, for Christ's sake, Google that shit before you go on TV. Like, oh my God, there's, there's no, no excuse for not knowing that in that venue when you know it's going to come up, there's there's no excuse. I'm sorry. This wasn't just somebody randomly asking, hey, what's the president of Mexico's name? This was in an interview with Telemundo. Like, come on now. But she got slammed for that. Um, Buttigieg picked up on that because obviously he was the only person who actually knew the answer to the question. And so she launches into this ridiculous attack on Buttigieg about how she was in the Senate and she's doing stuff and Pete Buttigieg is just mayor of a small town and blah, 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 blah. And this is, this is a demonstration of the argumentation style that I was trying to explain earlier with Buttigieg. He didn't get mad. He, He didn't get angry. He didn't raise his voice. He basically just pivoted to saying, yeah, about your time in the Senate, um, you voted to confirm Trump's head of the Customs and Border Patrol, the one that was actually voted on, and you've also voted to confirm several of his judges. Basically just dropping receipts on her ass and just doing it real calm, real real simple, real quiet. And then she basically lost her shit on him because he he did that. She started getting mad. He starts speaking Spanish and then she makes this, this quit like, well, we can't all be perfect like you, Pete. And I'm just like, you lost. You fucking just lost that argument, and it was just—it was just like, what is wrong with you? Like, if you're going to attack somebody, like, don't don't be mad when they come back with receipts. And I—I I don't think anybody was ready for Pete last night because that's basically how he acted. Just real simple, real quiet, nothing flashy, just handling facts. Just, there you go. And then the other thing that she said that was just. Straight up ridiculous was that on the topic of getting rid of sexism on the internet. What you gotta do to get rid of sexism on the internet? Is you gotta nominate a woman. Oh my god, no! I it just it's just a stupid, dumb thing to say. Like I just oh my god. But yeah, she kind of got hammered for that, rightfully so. Like I said, and it's just no, no. She did not look good. Like, she just did not look good. Like, everybody was... Not, like, nobody looked great, but she just particularly did not look good. And that little comment about how we can't all be perfect, I'm like, oh, shut the fuck up. You screwed up. You, you screwed up. You got called out. I mean, that's it. And you don't get to say that you had a brain fart and Elizabeth Warren's trying to over here trying to defend her ass. Like, you know, everybody forgets things sometimes. It's like, no, I'm sorry. If Gary Johnson doesn't get a pass for, like, blanking on Aleppo, then she doesn't get a pass for this either. I'm sorry. Nope. We're we're applying the standards across the board, and if you can't manage to remember the name of the Mexican president when you're talking to Telemundo, I mean, that's just, you, you deserve to get called out for that. Anyway, moving on to Joe Biden, who, bless his heart, he tried. And like I said, this whole thing was very loud and shouty, and Biden tried to be loud and shouty too, and there were times where he was loud and shouty, but it's kind of like Biden was Biden, and you can tell kind of, again, in contrast to the last debate where he was really kind of like on point the whole night and just really like up and and there for it, he kind of did start to sunset there a little bit at the end, and it's, (laughs) this is going to sound so mean. But it's so weird watching somebody try to be angry, but, like, their face doesn't move, so you can't really, like, tell anything. <laughs> That's so mean to say, but, like, his face doesn't move, and it's super disconcerting. <laughs> but, yeah, he, he he was he was on the No Malarkey Express. He was. He, he was getting in there. He was making his points. He was doing good. I mean, I don't think he didn't look great. He didn't look awful. He just looked like Joe Biden. But he did say that he would threaten the terror of China. If they don't stop opening the coal mines, which, okay, <laughs> no, no more tariffs, please. No more tariffs. But probably the high slash low light of Joe Biden during this debate was at the end, um, there were hecklers who got in and they were shouting at him, you deported 3 million people in trying to reference the fact that during the Obama administration, they did deport 3 million people and kind of pointing out that, okay, your, your history on immigration kind of sucks. And there really wasn't much said one way or the other about that, but that did happen. And again, it kind of goes to that, why are we not having a conversation about immigration? Why? Why is this not coming up? Anyway, I don't think Biden helped himself or hurt himself. I think he was just Joe Biden, and I imagine he's... Not going to do great in Nevada. Uh, it's, it's starting to be rather questionable where he's going to end up in South Carolina, which is not good for him because that was considered his whole firewall there is, okay, if you can do good in South Carolina, then maybe you can kind of right this ship. I, I don't know if that's going to happen. Um, I don't... I don't think he pulled double digits in either Iowa or New Hampshire. I know he didn't in New Hampshire. I don't think he did in Iowa either, which... There's a difference between not doing well and not even making it into double digits. Like, that's not not doing well, that's flaming out. And on the topic of flaming out, let's go ahead and address Elizabeth Warren. Now, this is probably going to be the second most controversial part of this episode because everybody seems to think that Elizabeth Warren did so, so great in this debate. I disagree. Elizabeth Warren had her own, like, festivus celebration. Basically, she's like, I've got a problem with all you people, and you're all going to hear about it." it. That's what it was. All night is basically just her attacking everybody on the stage, and she did land some decent attacks. That being said, bold strategy, hope it works out for you, because her, much like Biden, She's only making it into single digits in these campaigns, in these primaries in the caucuses so far. Whether this will change in Nevada, I don't know. Whether this was a good strategy, I don't think so. But Lord knows moderators gave her plenty of time to do it. (laughs) As they do, I mean, Elizabeth Warren is still the media favorite and the amount of people who are just praising Elizabeth Warren to the rooftops today after that performance. I'm just like, what? Like, I don't, I don't think she really helped herself. I don't think that this is going to be anything that gets her any more votes. I don't think, to me, this sounded like desperation. If we're being completely honest, this was somebody who has nothing to lose. And so she's just like, fuck it. I'm taking a flamethrower to everybody on this stage Except for one Bernie Sanders who she did not touch, which has led to some chatter online about why that is that you basically attacked everybody on the stage but the front runner, the person who you need to be attacking what My speculation is that she is kind of seeing the writing on the wall and knowing that she's not going to be the nominee and that she's trying to pivot to maybe gaining either like a VP nod or maybe some kind of something in the Bernie Sanders campaign or in a potential Bernie Sanders administration. Um, As far as VP is concerned, I don't see that happening. I do not see Bernie's base accepting that at all. Especially not after the whole snakeish releasing the conversation that oh Bernie told me that a woman can't be president. Like there's just been so much earth salted there that I it just it's not gonna happen. Like they would never ever ever accept her as a VP nod. But it's notable that you attacked everybody but the person who's actually currently winning the race. Like okay, what what's your end game here, sis? Because I mean you have got a lot of ground to make up and. Like I said, everybody's like, "Yes. Yeah, she did so great. She has so many sound bites. She attacked so many people." And I'm just like, "Okay, I I think this is a difference between what winning looks like to certain people and what winning looks like to other people." And I explained my rationale behind why I think Buddha Judge won the debate. And that's that he appealed to people who may already be on the fence, maybe don't have their pick picked. And they're looking at this, as like, okay, well, who do I feel comfortable with? Who do I think would be a safe, good pick? And then they probably saw that debate and were like, okay, that guy seems all right. (laughs) And I'm sure there's plenty of people who think that, oh, he's a lizard person and it's all calculated. I'm like, okay, well, I mean, if it works, it works. And I don't think that Elizabeth Warren's stance of basically just shouting herself hoarse. I mean, at the end of the debate, she was hoarse. Like, she shouted herself raw. I don't think that's going to help her any. In fact, I don't think that anything she did last night helped anybody but Bernie Sanders. So <laughs> I'm not sure what Elizabeth Warren was trying to get out of that debate. I don't think she's going to get anything out of that debate. I am very not understanding why people think she won it. But yeah. So that was Democratic debate number nine. Next week, we have number 10. Number 10. Yes, in five days, actually, this last debate was on the 19th. And then the next debate is on Thursday of next week. So yeah, we'll be doing another one of these, and I wonder what the hell that's gonna look like, because obviously that will be post Nevada. And well, I mean, uh, I mean, I don't think anybody's gonna drop out after Nevada. But it will be very interesting to see what the tone and tenor is going to be for that debate so close after this debate. Because this, like I said, if there's one thing that I can emphasize to you about this debate, and if you have time and you are so inclined, go online, watch it. It's two hours. It was nuts. It was absolutely batshit crazy. I was just like, the whole thing just went the fuck off the rails and- yeah, I don't know what the next one is going to look like after that. So anyway, this one's in the books. I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up because it has already gone a little longer than I planned. But like I said, there was just a lot to discuss in this last debate. So as always, if you did make it this far, thank you for listening. And if you do like this, please rate, comment, and subscribe. You can find me on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, YouTube, and on my Patreon page. Take care and until next time.